I am so glad to be able to talk to Chris Palmer again. He's a founder and pastor of Light of Today Church in Novi, Michigan. I sure hope I said that right. And founder of Chris Palmer's Ministry. He's host of the very popular podcast, Greek for the Week, and author of Letters from Jesus. Chris, welcome back. Hey, Bill. It's so glad to be back with you and uh, to be on your Awesome radio broadcast, and hello to the Twin Cities, where I uh, my alma mater is at. So always Fantastic. great to be with you. Fantastic! Did I say is it? Did I say Novi? Is that right? You got it. Cool. Yeah, I get Novi, Novi. It's it, technically Novi, but hey, you know what? We'll take Novi. It doesn't matter. Whatever you say works for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm uh, always glad to talk to Greek scholars because the more you study Scripture, the more you realize you got to go to Greek, don't you? <laughs> I think that's probably the next step if you wanted to take it deeper. Yeah. Um, is is Greek if you're a New Testament guy like myself, Hebrew if you're Old Testament yeah. person, either way. But, but yes, I think but, so. But why sure. should we be afraid of Greek when we've got guys like you to help us? That's right. You know, then if, if everybody knew Greek then you wouldn't have me on your program. So <laughs> that's true. I, I, that's true. Right? So <laughs> So I don't think I don't think you're at risk of uh getting uh, not back on the show. So maybe we should talk about the Christmas story because we're kind of getting in the mood a little bit. We're trying to yeah. uh I'm encouraging listeners to read a chapter of Luke every day this month. So we'll get through 25 chapters of Luke and we just talked a little bit about the Christmas story yesterday. Um but let's maybe go back to the Greek and go to the Christmas story um and talk about th- that from the Greek standpoint. Well, it, there is a lot in here, and uh, there's actually so much in the Christmas story from the Greek that I often tell my church that we're going to do a series coming up called Christmas in July, because sadly, you know, the Christmas story only gets preached many times, in many cases, it, around December, and you have about four weeks on Sunday to hit it, mm-hmm. and there's just so much stuff in it. It's like, hey, let's do Christmas in July, because we forget sometimes that um, though we call it the first Christmas, Mary and Joseph, the only thing they were celebrating was getting taxed. There was no Christmas then for them to celebrate. <laughs> right. And that's no party. <laughs> so, no party at all. Um, but there is just so many elements here. So we'll look at a few today that I think is very interesting. Um, and, I, you know, I hesitate to bring up the Magi because I think we might stay on this because the Magi are kind of like this really interesting duo or trio, I should say, that show up in uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, and it's kind of like, who are these guys? And I should just say just a few things, that the Magi really didn't get, okay, to Jesus until he, after he was dedicated. I mean, they were not there the first, on, uh, on the first Christmas, and mm-hmm. we see this in Matthew 2, 1 through 2. They were there a little bit later on, which, by the way, you know, there's nothing in the Christmas story accounts of there even being barn animals in the inn, so all these elements kind of make their way, and we have barn animals, camels, and, and cows, and we see Jesus in the manger with the Magi there, but they really weren't there. It was kind of Mary and Joseph in the manger, uh, probably in a stable because the manger kind of tells us that because it was in the Greek, the word there, manger, okay, means a feeding trough mm-hmm. for animals. Mm-hmm. Now, that is a very, very important element in the story is that Jesus was in a manger, okay? Um, now, Partic- that probably, if you're a preacher, this is something you know, you'd know you want to take notes on and you'd want to preach it because uh, the Greek word here uh, is fatne, probably nothing lower. It's where animals came to feed out of. And the idea of placing your baby, uh, I, I, listen, I have young mothers at my church and you know, if they see me sneeze, they don't want me touching their baby, uh, <laughs> let alone putting it in the feeding trough yes. of a cow or a Ew. sheep or a, yes. or a horse, right? And and that's where Jesus is at. So I guess the element and the illusion here is there was nothing lower. But it's really, Matthew's kind of really wonderful at this. 
his writing style. Is he compares the Fatne of where Jesus was at to probably the biggest seat in the New Testament. And as the person was on the throne at that time was Herod. And the person that was on the throne in Rome, in the Greco-Roman Empire, was Caesar. So you have Caesar and Herod on the throne. You have Jesus in a feeding trough. But what's so interesting is that Matthew mentions this detail in the very first book of the Bible. But the very last book of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, you don't see Jesus in a feeding trough, do you? You see him sitting on the throne. So the way that the New Testament is set up and the way it was positioned is that Sure, he begins in a feeding trough, but we find him on the throne. Mm-hmm. That substantiates what Jesus talks about, is that he that wants to be greatest among them must be last. And so that really is why during the Christmas season we celebrate giving ourselves, giving in charity, because we see that. And and really, I mean, you know, Bill, the uh, the Jews had serious problems with the idea that the Messiah was born like this, because they thought the Messiah was going to come and he was going to take political power and that he was going to overthrow the Romans. Uh, and the Greeks had serious problems with this because, you know, Jesus, his whole story was non-heroic. I mean, the Greeks were all about setting yourself up to be a king. And you look at Neptune and you look at uh, uh, Zeus and the different uh, pagan gods who were very devious and overthrowing. And, and this whole story just doesn't make sense. I call it a spiritual upside down this is like a totally different world. Everything is backwards in this world. And the Christmas story is the backward story of an unsung Messiah who became king through giving of himself. And it starts right there in the Fatne or the manger. That's how he, he took the throne by first taking the manger. That's what it's about. Yeah, that's, uh, that's great. Let's talk a little bit more about, uh, you know, the what we learn in Luke chapter 2 when they were, um, while they were in town— uh, they, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And so it sounds like they were in town for a while, and then yeah. oh, it looks like it's now time for the baby. I mean, I think we all we all have the idea that uh, of Mary on the on the uh, you know donkey arriving that night, and yeah. it really sounds like you know uh, Joseph could have made a number of different arrangements or plans if they're there for days, for a time. Yeah, so the- Yes, yeah, so, you know, the Bible says that when the fullness of time was come, God set forth the Son to be born of a servant to be born. Uh, that's Galatians chapter 3. So I think it's speaking of the fact that it could be the fact that Mary was nine months at this time, but it also was a very significant fact uh, that this was God's fullness of time. And perhaps Luke right here is, is, is uh, speaking of the fullness of time. Um, but this kind of comes back to, you know, the Magi of the fullness of time, because they, the Magi really did realize that this was that the king was going to be born. Um, and, you know, they're, they're mentioned in Matthew chapter 1. If you don't mind, I know you could ask about the time, but this kind of speaks to the Magi. Uh, going back to Matthew, because the accounts, they go back and forth. But, you know, we get the word Magi. This is where we get our word. And in the Greek, it's Magoi, plural Magi, which, by the way, there's not three of them. There's probably a, there's probably a caravan of them. Mm-hmm. We say three because of the three gifts, probably up to words of 20, okay, because they traveled in those large packs back then. Uh, who were from modern-day Iran or Persia. So you imagine that the trek from Persia to uh, Bethlehem would have taken quite some time. But, you know, the word Magoi means these weren't good dudes. I mean, they weren't like the kind of people that you would expect to see come into church on a Christmas service. They were dark sorcerers, <laughs> and they were magicians. I mean, these are the type of people that uh, David Blaine hangs out with. Or if you go downtown in uh, to New Orleans and you see the, the sorcerers, 
um, reading your poems and stuff. It's this kind of bunch, black magic, fortune telling, and the occult arts. So what in the world, okay, are these guys doing in the story, coming to worship Jesus? This goes back to this thing where it says the time, because that's very important. I believe right there would be kairos in the Greek, Mm -hmm. which means a specific certain time, most of the time, specific certain time. Okay, so this goes back to the Jewish Babylonian exile when the Jews were taken captive by the Babylonians, and this was an atrocity. And the prophets really spoke about this; they prophesied against it. But something God got glory out of this because though the Jews were scattered, they lost their language; they didn't speak Hebrew anymore. They were speaking Aramaic. But the Hebrew scriptures and prophecies began to spread among the Babylonian kingdom, which was been in Iran at that time. And the Babylonians were learning, and they found the Jewish prophecies very interesting that this persecuted people who had been taken into captivity, who were monotheistic, were expecting that their God was going to be incarnate. They had Isaiah's prophecy that he was going to become, he would be Emmanuel, he'd be God with us, and he'd be born uh, in, uh, of a virgin. And they thought this was really interesting, and they didn't throw the baby out the bathwater, no pun intended. I mean, they said, hey, if this is really going to happen, if the Jews do believe that there is going to be a king that, there wouldn't have been a Roman Empire at that time, but overthrow whoever they say is in political power, then the Magoi, who at that time they were augurs, they would uh, direct kings and they would direct uh, governments based upon their prophecies. They said they believed that any birth of a magistrate or any birth of somebody that was going to be uh, uh, you know, uh, the king or priest or whatever— that they would have a sign in the heavens. So they looked for omens, and they recorded the heavens looking for omens to advise nobility. And so they said, hey, there'll be a sign in the heavens that this king is being born. And they were constantly looking at the stars. It's their job Mm 24-7. And we find at the time, like in Luke, there was a celestial happening of grand proportion, uh, when you study the, the, the records and, uh, you know, the, the, the ast- astronomy, you'll find it was probably around 4 AD. And so we put it at 0 AD, but it's more likely around 4 AD that there was a cosmic alignment of planets that would have, we say it's a star, probably but an alignment of planets at that time that really pointed that there was actually a king being born and he's probably in Jerusalem in Bethlehem. And they came to see it because the time of the birth of the Messiah had come. And these kings show, or these these augurs or these wise men showed up mm-hmm. because they wanted to be the first to initiate and welcome the new king into the known world, and they're in the story. So it's an, it's very interesting. Well, uh, based on just my previous guest, Chris was uh, um, Kelsey, and she had a mm-hmm. premature baby, and I, I was just thinking about uh, every culture that I can imagine throughout all of the world, every woman who's been pregnant has been cared for by other women. I. I always have this idea that that a pregnant woman like Mary in a situation <laughs> is going to be cared for by other women. Is it yeah. is it safe to say that perhaps she uh, was taken into some peasant's home um, and the only space they had available was where the animals would feed inside this peasant home? And then when the shepherds would come and see this baby, they would not be intimidated coming to a peasant's home. Yeah, it's definitely possible. I mean, it was, it could have been a peasant's home. I mean, we have this idea, and I think you're right, Bill, because we have this idea that, you know, oh, poor Jesus and poor Mary. I mean, they were, they were thrown out into the inn that nobody, they wanted them. But, you know, that doesn't take, there's nothing uh, abrasive about the language. It's just saying that they probably had hotel rooms kind of filled up. I mean, you would expect that 
when everybody's going back to the city and everybody was forced to travel at the time. But Mediterranean hospitality is not going to allow a pregnant woman to be treated and just to go out in the barn and, and deal with your baby out there. Probably not. So, yeah, probably in a peasant's home or a guest house of some kind. And nothing's to say that there wasn't another woman that was there or this, could there have been a midwife there? It's very possible. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't see a problem with that, uh, you know, but then, you know, if you do that, then you got to change the nativity scenes and we got to, we got to go to Walmart and buy a midwife for our collection. You know? so. <laughs> right. right. We get, we get so attached to our traditions though. Um, it's true. And w- so we start to be more comfortable with traditions than we do with what God's word says. So I think it's, it's always important to, you know, to go back into scripture and, and read verse for verse and ask, you know, what is the Greek? What do these words mean? And to say, I want to just follow what scripture says, not what traditions have said. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, like a way in a manger, like a way in a manger, uh, you know, no crib for a bed. The little Lord Jesus laid down a sweet head. And it's like, well, I mean, that it makes it like poor Jesus. I love that. And I'm going to keep saying it. But you're right. You absolutely right. Is that how much of the tradition is telling the story and how much of the Bible is telling the story. And that's why I tease my church and say, sometimes I get looks and I say, hey, let's open up to, you know, Matthew chapter one, Luke two. And I'm going to read from the Christmas story, and it's July or it's June. It's like, wait, wait a second. What are you doing preaching from this? It's the Christmas story. It's it's 80 degrees outside. You can't preach from this right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I told my worship leader one time, I said, hey, this Sunday, I think it was August or something like that, sing a Christmas song. Sing Joy to the World. Mm-hmm. See what they do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I like the shock factor, but it threw them off. And I explained, this is, this. is I'd like to sing this all year round because we should always celebrate the birth of the Messiah, God incarnate. Yeah. So you're, Bill, I'm with you. I'd man. be very happy to attend your church in Novi, Michigan. <laughs> See, I got it right. Because I would love in August to be singing a Christmas carol because I love Christmas carols. And it's really, uh, it's it's in my heart year round. So why not have it come it's out true. in July or August? So I that, can't agree with you more. Yeah. And there won't be any snow that time. That's exactly. even better. Exactly. Those are my, my initial thoughts and I'm not changing my mind. I'm going to take a little break. <laughs> Chris Palmer is my guest. He is the founder and pastor of Light of Today Church in Novi, Michigan. And also uh, he is uh, a big fan of Greek. He's uh, got a podcast called <laughs> Greek for the Week and author of Letters from Jesus. We'll be back in 90 seconds. awfully nice music. Thank you, Rebecca. A little Christmas music there for Chris Palmer. He's my guest. We're talking about uh, the Christmas story and going back to the Greek and understanding what the Christmas story um, is all about in the Greek and focusing on Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2. Um, but let's, uh, Chris, just remind our listeners the the miracle of God leaving this elite status of heaven and being a baby coming to earth. Yeah, it's uh, it's truly what um, our faith is all about, the Christmas story. And that's why it's such a special time that at the time that Jesus came, uh, he was the antithesis. He was the opposite okay, of everything that kings were at that moment. Kings were building their empires and crushing other empires and overthrowing uh, other establishments 
and you know, in Julius Caesar, and you, you know the story of Julius Caesar and Bruno, and all of the the the, the Roman uh, conspiracies with the Senate, just all vying for that position of Caesar. And here you have Jesus, kind of off the grid, being born in a manger, and he was the King of Kings, and he was the Lord of Lords. You know, uh, it goes to you know, I was sharing this with my church on Sunday. It reminds me of, and this is so so powerful, is that when I was in China. Uh, last year in 2018, uh, we were going around the imperial, uh, the forbidden city, and they were talking about the uh, emperor at that time and how many uh, concubines he had and how powerful he was, and he'd really made a throne for himself. And I remember I just felt the Holy Spirit minister to me and said that Jesus was a king like no other, that he was n- unlike any other king that we find. He didn't come with the pomp and the circumstance. Mm. That's not how he came. Um and that was what Paul says to the Jews. It's a stumbling block. And that word stumbling block, scandal, means they, they just can't get over it. They, it. The math doesn't add up for them. And to the Greeks, okay, it, it was what Greek would say is a shame or it's funny. It's, it, this is comical. This is stupid. Who would want to serve a king like that? After all, we serve Zeus. But this to us who are being saved, it's the power of God to save us is what it meant. So beautiful. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you think about him entering the world as this defenseless baby, right? But he's 100% God, 100% baby. And then you think Mm -hmm. of the ways in which he lets the world be known of his uh, divinity. And and I personally would have booked the Colosseum and called down (laughs) lightning from heaven. You know, and he instead solves a a catering problem at a wedding. (laughs) And that's his first, I mean, he's always meeting needs. He's always yeah. showing people yeah. something very loving and practical. And um, yeah. he, there, like you said, Chris, there is no other king like him. I just Mm-mm. love him. Huh. I, I, you and me both. I mean, it's, it, we're, I'm so grateful and so grateful he called us to be saved and found us and could have left us. But he, he found us in the, the corner of the galaxy, this little planet called Earth and mm-hmm. this humanity that Bible says why we're yet sinners that, that was against him. He knew that if he came to us, we'd spit on him and we'd beat him and we'd punch him. And he says, you know what? I love him so much. I'm going to do it anyway. And I'm going to come as a, as a, as a human being. Um, and, you know, that's really what the Greek speaks of. Uh, back to the Greek in Matthew 1. OK, so in the English Matthew one twenty one it says, "You'll bear a son, and you'll call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." Now, this really is a, a great passage in Greek because um, where Ephesus he calls his name Jesus, it says, "Autos garso say," okay, which would really mean "for he will save." Um, now, if you just had said "garso say," it would be fine, which means "for he will save." But you see another "autos" in there, which means "he," so it's kind of like a double "he." It, it's an emphatic "he." It doesn't need to be there, but it's there. And so you're reading this, and you're like, "Wait." This is an emphatic way of saying he. Okay, so that the way it reads in the Greek would be doesn't particularly say, it, but it's nuanced. It would say like he and he alone, he and nobody else. Now this is an exclusive claim about the theologically we'd say the salvific nature of Jesus, or let's just put it in preaching terms. He can only save you, only he can wash you, and only he can make you pure. No other way of doing it. And you know that is. The gospel we preach during this Christmas season is that, you know, no matter how much partying we fill our lives up with, no matter how many, you know, 
uh, plaza eggnog we have, or how many how many Christmas uh, ugly Christmas sweater parties we go to, or how many gifts and uh, Alexas, uh, what do you call it, the Amazon Alexas we mm-hmm. get, and and smartphones. You know, I, I heard a statistic bill today that uh, eight billion was done on Cyber Monday, not Black Friday, just Cyber Monday, and one third of those eight billion sales, it would have to be upwards of over two and a half million billion, excuse me, was smartphones. So everybody's getting new smartphones for Christmas. But there's going to be people that, and we need to pray for them, that they get that smartphone, they turn it on, they download their apps, but they're not happy on the inside because they don't have the one thing that can save them. And that's, that is uh, faith in Jesus. And so, but I can tell you that the weary traveler, the person that's been through the, the rough and tumble of life, and we're not just talking about people that are that have had tough lives. People that have had cushioned lives and pampered lives that have the finest of everything. They can walk into church, hear about Jesus, hear about His cleansing power to deliver, and at that moment, they're free from their guilt, they're free from their anger, their bitterness, and their hatred, and they enter into the full meaning of life. And that's what the story is about. That's who Jesus is, and the Greek really just rams it home here in verse twenty-one. It's wonderful. Yeah, it is wonderful. Um, we just have about four minutes left, Chris. I'd love to yeah. uh, chat a little bit about how do we pray intelligently. Ah, <laughs> well, the, the scripture tells us that we are to be mindful, and we are to—I well, I was just talking to a pastor like this. Uh, him and I were speaking uh, just recently, and Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And I think sometimes that we say, well, prayer is engaging with our spirit. You know, and that's true. We do pray and our spirits engage in prayer. But Bible says we should also worship with our mind. And when we take time to become aware of the circumstances, to become aware of the, uh, the issues that are happening in our day, and then become mindful of what the Word of God has to say, that what I said to him on the phone was, there's nothing quite like praying after you read the Word of God, mm-hmm. you know? getting full of the Word of God, getting your mind focused on the Word of God, being aware of the issues of the day, and engaging your mind in prayer. And so, I mean, here we're, we're just here talking about the Christmas story. What better time than after I hang up with you or after your listeners uh, finish your whole show, okay, that they get off the phone or, uh, uh, get off the radio and say, now I've sat there and I've listened to, you know, for 45 minutes or an hour. Now I'm going to pray and I'm going to talk to the Lord and thank him for Jesus and use what you've learned in your prayer life. You'll find that in those moments, you can have a real worshipful prayer that really gets to the heart of God and make a connection with his Holy Spirit through it. And uh, so I think we give our full whole selves to prayer and to praying intelligently by giving God of our whole selves, mind, body, soul, and spirit. That's a great point you've made, Chris, and I, I wonder if if listeners open in prayer with God and then open their Bible, or if they do it the way mm-hmm. you just suggested, where you take in God's Word, you, you study, you learn, and then you take what you learned to prayer, in prayer to God, and have possibly way more intimate fellowship. I think that the mind connects you to the—I think if your mind is renewed, it connects you to the mind and the thoughts of God. And how many times do people go into prayer, and if they're honest, they come out feeling worse because they've prayed unbelief and they've prayed doubt, and it's because their mind's not renewed. 
And when we take time and say, hey, you know, I mean, you can start your your Bible study with a little prayer. Lord, help me mm-hmm. to study. And, but when you get into it, I mean, you, I mean, put your phone. See, I don't mind the Bible on the phone. The problem is you can get text messages while you're reading the Bible, right. and it distracts you. You know, if you just get the old the old onion skin paper bound between leather and pull it out and put your phone in the other room and, and shut the door and come back into your room, you, you, and your mind gets drawn into that, and then you pray, oh my my, you know, my heavens, it's 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 powerful. It really, really is. Uh, when your mind is renewed to pray, you find that you're not praying in doubt and unbelief. There's faith there, and like I said, also, you know, when you find people that are really engaged in God's word and they pray, there's a big difference from people that are kind of disconnected from the word or full of only what their favorite news outlet has to say. Um, and then again, I always teach that we should also be aware of what's going on in the day. You know what? What I mean, I was listening to the news today, kind of catching up on where our president's at and kind of what's going on with Congress and stuff and and what's going on over in the Middle East. And so it, it helps me to know, OK, how should we direct our prayers as yeah. a church and pray for world events and and or whatever you know in other people's lives or your own. It's yeah. great to be informed. Chris, I think I always start uh, my prayer with Psalm one nineteen eighteen, which is open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your word, mm-hmm. in your law. Chris, thanks for I doing the show. It's been great having you on. Hey, it's it was an honor to be on. Merry Christmas to you and, and your staff, Bill. Yeah, I look forward to chatting with you again. Chris Palmer's been my guest. We're going to take a little break, and that wraps up Hour 1. But Hour 2 is just ahead. And Dr. Cal Beiser is going to be joining me, and then Pastor Sean Winters in studio. That's the next Thanks hour. for listening. Back Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.